Coming up on this week's podcast, Martin talks about the latest news coming from Cyberpunk 2077. Alan gives his thoughts on the latest scary blockbuster, Hereditary. And I talk about social media influencers. Are they good or are they bad? You're listening to the Three Pixels Tech, Gaming, and Movie Podcast, brought to you by Alan Taylor, Martin Gregory, and me, Ben Ridley. Hello and welcome back to the Three Pixels Podcast. We are on episode 11. Thank you very much for tuning in. If you are new, hello to you. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode whenever they come out, including bonus odes as well. And with that... I'm going to introduce the first co-host of the episode. You may know him unless, of course, you are one of these new listeners, which are popping up here and now. Alan. Hi, good afternoon. How are you doing, Ben? I'm pretty good, thank you. We are here in the very warm, very, very sweaty pod. I'm sorry, I'm not making it sound great, but we are in the podcast pod in the Media Works, here for another episode in White City. It's fabulous to be here. It's also fabulous to be here, sat next to my wonderful co-host, Martin, how are you? <laughs> Thank you. You just know how wonderful it is. We're saying how nice and sweaty it is here. Yeah. Oh, okay. Really feel the love in here. You know? Oh, it's absolutely it, it, yep. beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Feel the puddles in a bit as well. Yeah. So we're doing our sauna podcast. Yeah. So. Yeah. We're all actually just completely naked right now. While we think about that, let's dive into this week's Two Truths, One Lie. So it is my turn on Two Truths, One Lie. The first item is I went to Beavers when I was a kid. The second statement is I had detention for fighting in school. The third statement is, and these all kind of been based around me, my childhood, so it's kind of childhood edition. The third statement is I have attempted to play six instruments with differing success over the years. Quick question, what's Beavers? It's like brownies for boys. Yeah. So oh, it's, okay. It's a pre, I thought it's it was a preamble like, uh, to scouts. Hooters or something. <laughs> oh, what, he was, what he just said, oh, yeah, yeah like, my childhood. I don't know. Your parents are cute. <laughs> no, so, um, okay, it's, so it's, like, it's like a scout. Scouts. Yeah. Scouts exists, doesn't it, for kids? No, it's beavers. Be- you go that beavers than scouts. Mm-hmm. It's, it's What's that? What age before? does beavers finish? The end of primary into early secondary, that kind of age. There, there is such a thing called beavers. My friend Ollie, going back to my one uh, a few weeks ago, he did beavers. Uh, he actually invited me. But this isn't about me right now. This is about Ben and, and him lying. But if you want to question Martin on beavers, <laughs> feel free. Well, yeah, I need a fact checker. Discussion. But yeah, generally beavers okay, is so, a thing. And that is the right age range. Yeah, sort of the same age. Uh, and I can believe it because yeah, I believe Ben's it. background, like his family and stuff, I could definitely believe beavers. Um, that sort of stuff, definitely. So to me, I, I think definitely beavers is the right thing. What about cadets? Did you ever do cadets? No, cadets is something completely different. So you've got the army, like they're like army yeah, cadets. but that's what scouts is training you for, isn't it? Not really, no. no but you, can, you can make the jump to it, but... No, well, kind of, yeah, but scouts... But but you can be an adult scout, like, you know, yeah, scout leaders. Last thing. You're too hooked up on this scout thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's a whole new I world. I wasn't part of the cadets, no. Because okay. I was... I was thinking about it at one point going to the royal air force version of it because you could do like you could fly gliders and stuff but anyway it's not the point and what's the second one sorry you said about i had detention for fighting in school i once had a fight in school and got detention for who it. did you fight with so it was actually someone who i'm generally friends with in school but we just decided as kids do sometimes that we we didn't agree with each other so we just 
went, okay, well, let's meet after school and have a fight. And it was after school. Oh, it was an but organized it, fight. Yeah, have you ever had that? Have you ever had that in no, in, in the kids' school where you kind of can you yeah. kind of agree like lunchtime this time? At this, yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. I feel like Adam has just not lived at all because I'm like, I was yeah, never a child. I don't know these things. This, this is your fault. No, I, yeah, <laughs> obviously you've been in scraps before at school, but it was never organized. Oh yeah, you organized a fight. Martin? I've never been in a fight. I feel honest. I think people are scared. Like, well, Martin, he's a dangerous man. <laughs> he gets down and dirty. He's <laughs> down and dirty. It, it, you know, it, it, we all we, we both kind of lost interest like halfway through. That's generally what happens. It's just like, yeah, it didn't really have any like real anger or anything. It wasn't like serious. But but um, yeah, I know teachers will just see two kids scrapping, even yeah. if it's in fun or jesting. Exactly. Yeah, and it was so it was like the deputy head. It's and just the organising. Yeah. it. that sounds weird. I don't Seems know. Very I American. just can't imagine Ben in a fight. I'm not offense here, Ben. But I just can't imagine you in a fight myself. No, but I, I can imagine a teacher misconstruing playing. Oh, Although, man. no, because to get to the point of giving you detention, they she probably would have, or he, would have asked you a few questions like, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> ben, <laughs> what, it, what was your friend's name, sorry? Declan. Ben, Declan, what are you doing? Oh, it's like you were there. Are you asking me? Yeah, no, what? You know, he wasn't literally like that. He literally, like, put his hand on my shoulder and said, come to my office at first break tomorrow. Oh, and that was the detention? I went to his office and then he said, stand here, like, in front of the office door, which most kids in the school, that's what would happen if, if the deputy had caught you doing something or you got in trouble. You'd stand during the whole break in front of his office door in the corridor so everyone would be walking past and just see you stood there in front of his door. And then you said about your instruments. Yes. So I have attempted to play six instruments with different success over the years. So obviously you guys know that I do play some instruments and, you know, some have faded out, but I've, I've attempted. What does attempt mean? Because so I've, I've, I've kicked keys on a No, piano. it means that I've had intention to like play it. So in school, there were many opportunities to try different instruments and, and I would go to after school classes. Like, you know, I've been after school, uh, like the, the recorder and you go like a recorder class. And I did that for many weeks, but it just f- fizzled out and it didn't really do much with it. And then the guitar, obviously, that I now still play. I can name three that Ben has played. Okay, what, what are the six that you've attempted to play? Okay, so piano. Yeah. Guitar. Yeah. Drums. Yeah. Recorder. Yeah. Violin. Yeah. And trumpet. And what? Trumpet. See, I knew the first three he listed us there, drums, piano, and guitar. I know that he's- And record, And record. I've actually never played the recorder, but you said everyone. I'm, uh, I'm everyone not. has that for a year at school, don't okay. they? Okay, no, well, we didn't. We had the glockenspiel, that's about it. Uh, <laughs> well, I went to two primary schools and they were both kind of musical and um, majority of the time when I started learning instrument, it would be in school. And then it was whether I decided to then continue pursuing it more seriously outside of school. Mm. I feel like Ben's being cheeky here. Yeah, like, I think oh, I got five instruments instead of six. Yeah, oh, I bet oh, that's oh. what it is going to be. I, that's why I think, and I know, like we all know, you're quite musical, so that one seems true. So I think that's the lie. Because yeah, what was the first one again? Beavers. Went to Beavers as a kid. Yeah, sure. Everyone had to stand outside of a teacher's classroom for getting in trouble. But, but, fighting. Fighting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm going for the last one. I'm going to go with the fighting because. Somebody's just telling me, I can't, I just can't see it. And if Ben did have a fight, I don't think he would get caught. Ben's not smart for that. <laughs> he would be, it would be like, get away, you know, <laughs> jumps over the fence. No, I'm joking over the jump in the fence bit. I just think I can imagine Ben playing six instruments. He's quite musical. Or I'm in a complete fool and fall into my trap when I said. How old were you when you got detention? So this was quite early-ish in secondary school. So it would have been around year eight. 
So, so you still sick with the instrument there? Yeah, hormones kicking in, getting a bit violent. Yeah. I'm I'm still gonna go with mine. I'm sorry. Sorry, I'm, I'm going to apologize. <laughs> Something's screaming sorry. at me, it's wrong, but yeah. go on. Go on. Those are your answers, yeah? Yeah. yeah they are okay. the answers. So yes, I did beavers as a kid. Yeah. I did do that. I didn't go to scouts actually, I just stopped doing after that, but that's fine. I also got in detention for fighting at school. But I, I the the instruments you know basically are the only ones I've ever really played with. So it was a case oh, of like five not six. Oh, whatever, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't five not six, it was three not six. I just thought, You didn't do recorder. That's what I said. I, I didn't do it. It was never pushed on and that's why that's what I thought, oh maybe it's just a recorder he didn't do. But honestly I thought Ben's quite musical. He probably picked up the recorder for like two weeks, yeah, that's good enough. Like honestly, he just picks these things up like, oh yeah, I'm great at that now. I'll, I'll throw that over there now. <laughs> And there we have it. What did you think was the truth out of the lies? Were you right? Did you get it spot on? Get in touch the usual ways. Twitter, Facebook, let us know. Okay, we'll kick off with the Gaming Corner this week. As promised, as from the last podcast, I would say I want to talk about Cyberpunk 2077. So here is what I know and what I've uh, researched for you guys. So it's been developed by CD Projekt, which is famous for the Witcher series. And already this game has won over 60 awards at E3. The game is an RPG and set in Night City, a futuristic dystopian megacity sandwiched between Los Angeles and San Francisco. At E3, a brochure was handed out to people watching the trailer and it showed Night City as, and it was divided into six different districts. According to the brochure, in the middle is the city center, a massive skyscraper um, and a massive, huge skyline. It's the, First thing you see in the trailer, as you as it's coming through the train, you see the big old skyscraper. It's, it's where the corporates and the, the big mega powers are all situated. Moving outwards, you get the Watson district. This is sort of populated by immigrants, a mix of Asian cultures uh, filled with bazaars and markets. Westbrook includes a touristy Japantown, as well as city's wealthiest citizens. And there's another place called Haywood. It's another wealthy district. However, it's predominantly... Latino with a budding gang problem, which is also very illustrated in the trailer. You see a lot of gang warfare, and I think that's where most of the main story, if I would have to guess, is going to sort of accentuate. I think I'm going to butcher this, but it's Pacifa uh, surfaces as the city slums, which are more abandoned and overgrown by gang activity. And finally, there's an industrial sector of Santano Mondingo. I am going to butcher these names, I'm afraid. <laughs> but stuck in an endless cycle of modernization, which I think they are pretty much cliche sort of districts that you'd probably see in gaming. You, you always have that uptown um, where all the, the where all the guys situate with all the money and power, and also you get that sort of rustic, real urban feel in other places, as well as obviously talking about all the modernization of like the industrial districts. So these are not cliches i don't want to use that word too uh strenuous but it definitely um has a normality feeling in these sort of rpg games there's always that um those different sort of areas the game aside i wanted to talk about a guy called uh mike pondsmith who first published cyberpunk as a pen and paper rpg in 1988 that original document is titled cyberpunk 2020 and is still available today in both physical and digital format so if you cannot wait you can sort of play this get your little feel and then when the game comes out um later you'll be all up to date 
So let's talk a bit about the gameplay. Not much has been sort of talked about the gameplay, but here is what I did eventually dig up after a few hours of research. It did take me a while, but it's a first person shooter perspective. There'll also be third person views, uh, but then pretty much limited to the cinematic sequences like narrative cutscenes, as well as the driving sequences throughout the game. There will be also a skill unlock system, as well as in these many skills that you unlock, there's stuff like bullet time to sort of slow down time around you, as well as other ones that sort of have silhouettes of bad guys behind walls. So it almost feels a bit like Witcher's sort of lock, uh, lock uh, sequences. However, I could only manage to find only three main categories. Uh, they are the small arm skills, melee combat skills, as well as hacking skills. So there's a massive multitude, and it's nice that you can go still through you want to be like a full-out melee guy or an absolute intellectual with their hacking skills. So there's a lot of customization for your character. So that is pretty much what I uh, dig up, which might interest you as well as I do want to report on a lot of things that have already been said about there's all this fan theory about, oh, it's all connected to the Witcher series, which is a, a topic for a different story uh, time. But I'll start with you, Alan. You were the one who was most excited for this game. Is there anything that I've read out or that I haven't said that has piqued your interest? I mean, I'm mainly excited about this because I'm a massive fan of The Witcher and the developers, if it's just The Witcher set in Blade Runner universe, that sounds perfect to me. Um, I wish there was more details about the gameplay mm -hmm. um, because obviously this is the first time they're really doing things with firearms, yes. with ranged weapons. And, but... I can't fault them for any of their open-world stuff or any of their story work, so I'm very excited. Yeah, like you said, there was very little. Um, originally, I was going to write as a podcast. There was little to none, but like I said, it, it took a few hours for me to really research some of this, and even to get this far, I was quite happy to find this sort of goldmine. I, I read so many different forums, all, all sorts. So this is what I could sort of base upon. Overall, people are very sceptical about the gameplay, but they shouldn't really be because the Witcher series has been a massive hit, especially for, um, the Witcher 3 um, was huge. But other than that, I don't think there's really much concern. Would you agree? Yeah, no, no concern at all. If I had to trust anybody to make a game, it would be them. Excellent. And yourself, Ben, I know you have, uh, you didn't really state this game before, to my memory, but anything that I've, again, have, I've said, that I haven't said, or that's, you're, are you excited about this game or anything like that? I think this would be the first game by these developers that I'll actually go and play. I haven't played The Witcher. It just didn't seem the type of game for me. And I'm not a massive RPG fan. I mean, is Sims an RPG? No, no. no okay. Then I'm not a massive RPG <laughs> fan. Okay, no. I would say that it has piqued my interest. It looks very, very interesting. I didn't know about the older games. I, did, I honestly have come in it quite fresh and just seen that the excitement around it and seen what I've seen so far. And I am looking forward to learning more. And if I like what I continue to see, then I am likely to give it a try. And I feel like Alan's probably going to buy it anyway. And maybe I'll get to play it or see it through that and then make my decision. I'm not going to rush out immediately, I don't think, only because I'm a bit cautious to whether this is the type of game that I will dig into or not. But I can 100% see why there's a lot of uh, hype around it. Have any of you guys played the older ones or the, the actual retro one that you, you mentioned oh no no i haven't played the on paper rpg uh no although speaking of it when i found that out i thought maybe i should go play it or get a feel i don't know i, I feel like what i've seen on the trailer i'm happy enough to sort of leave it and a bit like alan said i, I do sort of trust cd project to, to make this game the only real concern now really talking about it is 
I don't want it to become what many games have fallen into the trap of recently, where it's become so overhyped to the point of when you play it, there are bugs on first release. Like The Division? Yes, and that, that's exactly the one I was going to go to. Or like The Witcher 3. That game was broken when it came out. Yes, it was very broken. But people sort of forgot about that, though, after a while. Yeah, like, they did fix it, but there was so much ground to recover. And speaking about uh, sort of The Witcher, uh, I'm surprised you didn't say something about Gwent, the, the... Card game. The card game. That is... Everyone loves Gwent, so I wonder if there's going to be like a new installment for uh, the Cyberpunk 2077, or at least a reference in the game, which I, I guess people always like to see. Alan, is this an instant buy from you? Probably not. I, I don't instantly buy any games because they're always released broken. Especially on PC, generally. Yeah, games take about a month to get into it. I'll be happy to hear what you guys think at home. You can get in touch with us at the Free Pixels pod. You can also email us with... Hello at the free pixels. I can't do this. I cannot do this. Martin, you can also email us, can't you? Hello at the three pixels.com. Oh, I tell you, I could. Oh. That was a massive tongue. Or what can they also do? They can also follow us on Twitter at the free pixels pod. And on Facebook? No. There's no Facebook. <laughs> There's no Facebook. Okay. Well, free, you... Just type in the free pixels and we should come up instantly. Exactly. There we go. I was in Boston recently and I managed to find some time to go down to this really cool old, very old art house cinema called the Coolidge Corner Theatre and I saw a movie called Hereditary. First, light the candle, then choose an item that belonged to Grandma. Then read this out loud. It's to make things start. She isn't gone. I think my mother put a curse on us. Hereditary is Ari Aster's debut film. It's about a woman called Annie, played by Toni Collette, whose mother, with whom she had a bitterly estranged relationship, recently passed away, leading her to battle with this guilt of not feeling sad enough at her mother's passing. And she uses her job as a miniature artist. She makes these intricate doll houses and models to deal with her feelings and experiences. In fact, the movie starts with this push-in to one of her dollhouses, which seamlessly starts the story by showing her everyday, ordinary life where we meet her family, her exasperated but supporting husband, her son who's turned to drugs to deal with a lot of the family's secrets, which are explored later, and her daughter, who is wonderfully strange. She makes these clucking noises, she creates these gross, morbid art pieces, and she desperately misses her grandmother who's just passed away. All of which is much to the dismay of Annie. And this initial push into the doll's house implies that this whole movie is an artifice, a construct of Annie's anxieties. So far, so good. The first act of this movie is phenomenal. It makes so many unexpected decisions. I don't want to go into the specifics of them because that would betray the shock of this one scene I'm talking about, but it was the most heart-stoppingly traumatic moments I've seen for a long time. And this moment leads us straight into the horror. We are taken through a supernatural journey that plays on whether the grief brought this onset of ghostly terror into the family or whether the family was cursed all along. The supernatural elements aren't really a twist in the movie. It's worn on its sleeve, it's thoroughly embraced. For most of the movie, there isn't much in the way of jump scares. Uh, the horror comes from the atmosphere. There's a stillness to the way it looks. The slow, omniscient camera work forces us into these uncomfortable, intrusive perspectives. Almost like we are a ghost in the house, or 
an observer looking into a doll's house. The sound design is wonderfully used. Uh, the diegetic sound does a lot of the hard work for the horror more so than the music. I like the fact that it's a really slow ramp up into the madness, but unfortunately the bridge from the uncomfortable family horrors to the, I thought, quite satisfying ending, the, the bridge itself is very disappointing. We're swamped with these modern horror cliches. It takes us through gimmicks that feel out of place, cheap scares, meaningless house of horror tricks. Although I liked the ending, I didn't feel like I knew what the movie was about, if anything, you know? It holds itself up as one of these new wave intelligent horror movies because the setup is so exciting, the performances are superb, especially Toni Collette as this conflicted, resentful mother desperately controlling her children. And I've been going over it in my head. It sort of covers mental illness, grief, guilt, family dynamics, but all of this is surface level. It, it doesn't go deeper and it's all dealt with directly. Then I realized, as I've been thinking about all of this, that I've not been thinking about the themes like I did with Babadook or Get Out, but I've been thinking about the genre of horror as a whole. And maybe this movie is more about horror, the genre. Back in the 70s, we used to have movies that were about things, usually social commentaries or psychological analysis. The Exorcist was about a place of faith, the place of faith in the modern day, which this movie is being, I think, unfairly compared to. Night of the Living Dead is about race relations, Dawn of the Dead consumerism, Texas Chainsaw Massacre we can talk about for hours, and The Wicker Man for days. And then producers kind of figured out that these were very cheap to make and they had mass appeal. So as we went into the 80s, obviously horror movies became goofier and fun. 90s were teen slasher movies and then after the millennium, found footage and torture porn was in. But now, as I said, we're getting back to movies that are asking questions again. Obviously Babadook being the gleaming modern example about horror dealing with loss and grief, which I don't think Hereditary really lives up to. And thinking about these trends and how everything's evolved, horror movies have always been the most interesting to pull back the curtain and see how and why they're made and the business models behind them, especially the recent Bloomhouse model that's been very successful. And it's just making me think that Hereditary doesn't really fit into the types of horror movies that we have now. It's, it's a fright fest insidious type movie wearing the clothes of a higher brow horror. Honestly, though, that is just me nitpicking. That isn't a bad thing at all. There's nothing wrong with a surface-level horror movie. And at the end of the day, is it scary? Yes, I think so. I was very shaken by this movie. Like I said, I was in this old Art Deco theater, ornately decorated, and the way the shadows moved around the room. Obviously, that's just my personal experience. You might not have that, but that was terrifying. I was the only person in the room. Didn't help. And yeah, very tense. And I think that there is enough residual tension from the opening, well, first half of the movie that will ride through some of the goofier cliches uh, right up until the end. When I left the theatre, I was still quite shaken. Like a, a group of college kids, I, I think Harvard, that's in Boston, right? Mm -hmm. They came up to me and they were doing like a, a scavenger hunt and they needed to find a stranger to film and sing Call Me Maybe with. <laughs> and I had just seen this terrifying horror movie. So I was just, I must have looked so bewildered. I was like, hey, you just met me. Uh, to call me. <laughs> <laughs> Even after that, yeah, I didn't quite snap out of it. It did stay with me for a while. And I've really enjoyed ruminating on the genre as a whole. 
because of it. Wow, it's quite a. That's quite. In- I felt like clapping after that. That was yeah. a proper. That uh, was a proper speech. That was. I thoroughly enjoyed your analysis of going through the different decades of horror, and I agree with all of what you said there. But let's now talk about the film itself. Let's bring it back down to earth now. Yeah. When you said about leaving and you still felt these effects, even after the joyful song of Call Me Maybe mm-hmm. by Carly Rae Jackson, of course. I, I think then would you say the psychological horror that was going on the screen was also amplified into the person's own head and it kept staying with them. That's how exactly what I thought when you said all this. Maybe this is a different threshold that you've not explored or, or sort of I'm getting a completely different message to. Unfortunately, no, it wasn't really the themes. It was all the surface level Uh, horror, you know, the music, the camera work, the performances. And I can't stress how amazing they were. Um, The direction was great. It's just this underlying, it it lacked a a layer of complexity and depth that we've been seeing in a lot of movies. Like It Follows, you know, Get Out, The Witch. I always find with like these complex horror films, bare bones of it, horror films, mostly they're to scare you. Um, jump scares and that's I how, that's completely how disagree so that's where I I'd, I'd differ with you completely I'd say that's where I think a good horror and exactly the same with sci-fi is if it's about something you can get so much more out of it like with Get Out I was talking about it for hours afterwards right I don't know maybe I wasn't so shocked and scared afterwards maybe that is a well no because Babadook it was, that was a scary movie and that had something to say so I don't think it's a trade-off between having something to say and a horror but, but not every movie has to have no, something absolutely. to say. No, absolutely, and I did say that in my review. It's it's not a bad thing no. that it didn't. It's just I wasn't... It, it was holding itself like it wanted to be. Yeah. It it spoke like it had something to say. But, really, but in actuality, no. it was just... Noise. No, that's not fair. It was <laughs> it was a very good movie. Just, I really enjoyed it. Sorry, obviously people can't see your facial features. And how I'm reading it is like, you're sort of torn the things saying, yeah, it's a really great movie. That's what you're saying. But at the same time saying, oh, I didn't really enjoy it. It's quite hard to read you right now. Um, okay, well, explicitly, I did really, I had a really good time with it. Okay, you did. Um, I say this about most things. I did go in blind, not knowing anything. I've since seen all the posters comparing it to The Exorcist, The Shining. I think that does a film a bit of a disservice. I... Don't know if I would have enjoyed it as much going in thinking this is going to be the scariest thing ever. Yeah. Um, so stay away from it as much as you can until you go see it. I think. But you just told me the review. <laughs> is this? Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Is this for horror fans? So I was thinking about that as well. This movie makes a lot of references to old. Horror so movies. it's a love story to the horror genre. Uh, I don't even know because there's some very explicit and. I would say story-dependent references to The Shining, to Rosemary's Baby in particular. The story itself is a massive homage to that. But it doesn't really play with that. It doesn't pay, like, it makes these setups and references, but it doesn't pay off on them. Do you know what I mean? So could you walk into this film having seen basically no horror films or have real understanding and still get the same level of enjoyment out of it? Yeah, yeah. So it doesn't go deep. It doesn't go deep into. That's why I'm saying that these comparisons with these other movies are doing it a disservice because people are going to try and make those comparisons. They're going to have these expectations. Yeah. So let's just say we're ten years now into the future. Would people still be talking about this film? Do you think, or is this like uh, one and done? See you later. That that will be the test. Okay. Because yeah, we're very recently released. It it all depends on how the audience reacts to it. It's still early days, really. Yeah. Anyone could. See, I'm cutting its legs even before it's fully developed. (laughs) So if you want a good scare that's going to stay with you, definitely go see this movie. And 
Let me know what you thought. Am I completely on the wrong track? Actually, if you found meaning in this movie, please let me know what it is. I've been racking my brains. I've been reading all over the place to find some insight into it because maybe it just didn't speak to me and I missed something. So, Ben, what's our email? It is hello at the3pixels.com. You can also tweet us at 3pixelspod or drop us a Facebook and just search the3pixels. Thank you very much. We've all heard about vloggers and bloggers earning big money promoting brands' products on their social media pages. Known by outsiders as the millennial influencers, these people are internet stars in their own right and can earn as much as $20,000 per post according to various social insight websites. But more recently, it seems that a number of them have been caught gaming the system, buying armies of followers from firms that use automated bots to create fake accounts and simulate interactions. Consumer goods giant Unilever, one of the biggest advertisers in the world, has had enough of influencers trying to cheat. It's calling on greater transparency in the influencer marketing industry, fearing that consumers may no longer trust influencers or the brands that work with them. In response, Facebook-owned app Instagram says it blocks millions of fake accounts every day and works hard to build stronger relationships between brands and influencers. But genuine influencers are concerned that they will be punished too. I'm so against bots, says New York-based Olivia Rink, 27, a fashion and lifestyle blogger who used to be a cheerleader. It's very discouraging to compete with influencers that make the decision to use bots or fake engagement. Rink has worked with more than 600 brands and says she spent four years building her blog audience. I work extremely hard to create unique and authentic content, and I know my readers will enjoy that. But Unilever isn't the only brand getting fed up. Many hotel brands have come forward to say that they no longer want to work with influencers after seeing tangible returns on investments. Some resorts have gone to extra lengths, including vetting process, to ensure that influencers actually have good organic engagement. This seems to follow a trend as marketing agency Zazzle Media, with over 10,000 British influencers on its books, has found that not one of its marketers planned on focusing on influencers over the next 12 months. Managing director Simon Penson said in a quote, One, it's difficult to measure how influencers affect sales, and two, there's this underlying issue about bots behind it that's prevalent and growing. Unilever isn't ditching influencers completely, however. The idea of endorsements is nothing new. You can trace it back to the days when Hollywood stars like Rita Hayworth and Lana Turner would appear in our soap adverts, says Unilever Chief Marketing Officer Keith Weed. But social influencers add a new and complex dynamic. We want to develop meaningful relationships with influencers who are passionate about their audiences, as are we about the people who use our products every day. A lot of these internet celebrities stress that Instagram isn't just about snapping pretty pictures. It takes hours to produce and style the photo shoots, plan and create content, engage with readers and pitch ideas to brands. I work at least 70 hours every week on my blog, says Miss Rink. I personally grew up on YouTube not only as a consumer, but as a creator. I've experienced all kinds of content deals taking place and have even done some myself. It's tough. As a creator, you will always battle with a tide of people who see something as it is displayed and assume that no real work or effort has been put into making this piece of content happen. A lot of people bear the thought that the online creator shouldn't earn money from their work because it dilutes the honesty and creates some sort of fakery. And there is some truth to that. Some creators do see green and forget about the consequences. But a lot of creators don't do what they do to be business people. And the pressure of towing the line between keeping brands and fans happy is tough. So what do you think? Have influencers ever worked to you as a consumer? Have you ever bought anything as a result? Do you generally agree with this type of marketing as a whole? 
the brands feel that their target audiences aren't reacting in the way they want to through this type of marketing. So there's some breakdown here, whether it's the consumers feel that it doesn't seem legitimate enough, that they've seen past what used to be quite a successful way of convincing people to buy products. They've seen it to be more fake and and, and put together. Or do you think that this will find its way out and it's, it is... It is a way forward and it is working. Well, they've been doing this for years in, in, in different media throughout. I mean, like um, you look at the, in, in the 40s, 50s, and early, early te- television ad- advertisements, they used like all these celebrity endorsements, uh, mostly for like smoking adverts. And it did work a lot. Like um, uh, sales rose dramatically in, in smokes. But, but now people, when you see your say, for example, your favorite blogger or YouTuber or whatever medium you are watching, and they talk about this product that they've not mentioned before, they have no other sort of link between until this point, it does feel fake and forced. And people will out this straight away. Um, for example, I re- some of my YouTubers now and then do these advertisement videos, and you could tell if it almost feels scripted to the degree of like when there's usually like free-flowing, quite quite a bit buddy-buddy, a bit fun, a bit, bit off the cuff. But now you feel, well, this was really scripted for some reason. And at the end, it hits you, oh, they're trying to sell me something. And I, I feel like people have not wisened up because some people don't, but I feel like some people are fed up with that. And I think they need a new marketing plan. I feel like somewhere in there, and I think it's what I've just said, that it just breaks down. People just feel like it's forced upon them to then say, oh, how great this product is without actually dealing what they actually think. So content creators need to get more creative absolutely, with the way that they do product deals. And does this also translate through to the social networking like Instagram? Because we've yeah. all seen, you know, or heard about, especially in the in the beauty, hair and makeup and the, the fashion side of things, there's a lot of influencers who mm. will post things like that. It's funny actually you say that because my girlfriend has Instagram and she follows, there's a, like a makeup tutorial. She, she use, This person usually does like D- Disney theme sort of stuff. And she uses like these brands, but she never really said what they were. And recently she was watching when I was with her and she kept saying all these different brand names. I thought, right. what? It's heavy handed. Very, it's very like, bye, bye, bye. This is why this is what I'm using. You need to use because you can't do it without this. And before I go down, and I do, I do understand, completely understand what you're getting from, I completely relate to that. As I say before, I do also understand at least the majority of the creators. I understand the difficulty that's there because these people aren't business people. They didn't do marketing. They don't generally understand in detail how this stuff works. They've just had a company come to them and said, we want to work with you generally. You know, we'll give you these products. You just need to mention these. And, you know, they're often quite young people. They're, you know, in their um, late teens, early 20s. And, you know, they, they're just... They're just them. They haven't got a manager like a lot of celebrities have. They haven't got anyone on their side to, to make sure that they're doing the right thing. And they have to make these decisions. And then it's their responsibility to then to put them in. And then if they overdo it, then they get backlash from their audience. If they underdo it, then they don't get, you know, the, the money that the, the money that responds. You know, I do think personally as a creator that it is right for creators to be able to get some comeback from the hard work that they put in, as long as they are doing hard work and they're not faking it like I mean, this is part of the problem here. There are people who are faking it by buying followers. But the people who have put genuinely hard work into gaining an audience and have put out really good content, you know, it I, it's fair that they get some kickback because these things do cost time, which costs money in certain sense, or sometimes cost physical 
uh, money when you have to buy equipment or you have to rent a space or vice versa. I'm glad you actually said that last bit there, rent a space, because we're not immune to this. Because like last podcast, we talked about where we are now. Yeah. And But I feel like it, it's almost justified because... Uh, our previous uh, recording space is where somewhere you hang out a lot, both of you two, more than I do. And we wanted to be a bit more creative. So that did generally come across as uh, more podcast worthy. And we wanted to push podcast forward. I'm not, this sounds like a massive advert now. And I'm almost sounding hypocritical, but that's generally the space. I can get that. But when it's like, let's just say Alan's now got a, a new deal with a trainer company, for example, and he starts saying, oh, I've rocked up in my new XYT shoes, and he mentions them every other sentence. It just comes across like, what? Yeah. It, like, I feel like some brands do not fit the platform they're actually on, and I think that's probably the biggest gripe I have. I personally don't mind these. I don't watch TV, so no TV adverts are getting to me. I pay for, I pay for Netflix. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> I pay for Netflix. <laughs> so you mooch off Netflix, yeah? Yeah, pretty much. Netflix is paid for, so there's no advertisement coming through there. And if we're, you know, watching free content on the internet, that's fine. I'll pay by watching these adverts, and I, I have no problem with these people trying to advertise. Obviously, there's people cheating, and that's causing a problem for everyone, but that's the same everywhere. With this change-up in companies having very little, or starting to have very little confidence in the legitimacy and the actual benefit that they get through doing this type of advertising, could this start to starve some of the creators we have? And could that be, I hate to say it, but could that be a good thing in some way? Because there are a lot of creators on the various platforms. YouTube has exploded. Instagram has exploded. A lot of these, there are a lot of people out here all trying to compete. So if companies are going to be a bit stricter with who they work with and vet them, do you think that could be beneficial? But I mean, you shouldn't just assume free any money because you're making content. No, you, you've got to be good enough to have them come to you and say. But you're, but you are stopping the people who are, have money in their goal because that's the the people who are setting up the fake accounts. All they want is the the money deal. Why else would they do it? Like like you said, Lucibix exploded, and it almost feels like these companies are, are playing catch up now, and they are literally just chucking bucket loads of money at, at different YouTubers. And I think it would be a bit of a bit of a rain check. Person. I feel like they should stop this endless supply of money, it almost feels like, towards YouTube. I feel wherever you go, and I understand you want to make money off this living, because for some people, that, that is their living. But, you know, s some content users just, uh, I would say, abuse the system. And I think genuinely, um, it would be a good uh, rain check on it. Because you think bef before, probably before 2011, 10 sort of times sort of happened. Um, people were doing it just for fun. People were making a bit of money and were making like these uh, advert deals, but they were not ludicrously lucrative as they are now. So I think personally it would be a, a very beneficial. But do influencers work at the core point of this whole thing? Yes. Do influencers work? Have you ever bought anything because of an or because of a YouTuber? Even if you maybe didn't think you were being influenced, did you buy something from someone you follow no. on a social platform, including YouTube? Because you've seen them wear it, because you've seen them use it? No, generally not. And I, I've i never, ever been envious of any YouTuber or any platform upon, like Instagram or anything like that. I've never gone, hey, that's really great. I'm going to buy that. Because I, I don't know, maybe I'm work differently, I guess. But 
generally, I've never sat there and gone, I really need such and such because that will improve my lifestyle. Including when they're like, you know, use discount codes, the three pixels and get 10% and we don't do any of that stuff. No, although we but, don't. No, no. Um, that's a very good point. No. And... Would you? No. Because... Why? I, I feel I feel like it's dishonest and I, I just... I feel like there'll be later repercussions for no reason. I feel... I generally can't accept that. So there's a level of trust. Yeah. You I don't like trust I that they're recommending you in good faith. Let's take this for example. Let's just, I, I used to, uh, and still do, do your YouTube channel. And let's just say, I didn't know you previously before this. And you said, use the key code T, for example, you get a 10% discount when you go to, where do I go? A off? shop. Uh, just yeah, a let's shop. just say any shop in, in my hometown, for example. Oh, I think, oh, great. But I feel like I don't know you on a personal level. If... I know you in person, and I've met you a couple of times. Said, "Oh, Martin, I've got this tea shop uh, voucher. It gets you ten percent off." I'd, I'd accept that because I know you as a person. I know what you're, you're actually like and what what you dislike. And for me, on on screen, I don't know you on that personal level. You could be giving me something that you have absolutely no interest in, and I don't want to go to these shops. And I feel like I'm going to get into some sort of trouble. Maybe that's how I feel, but that's generally... So there's a level of distrust there. Yeah, in absolutely. Some sense. Alan, do you feel the so, same? So do you know Wayne Rooney personally? No. But you'll drink a bottle of Coke that he's advertised to Actually, I'll drink a bottle of Coke if anyone was on there, honestly, <laughs> because I, I enjoy Coke. But you're saying like you don't trust Ben because you don't know him. But you yeah. don't know any of these people on TV either. Well, I guess, but I don't say, oh, Wayne Rooney's drinking a bottle of Coke, so I'm going to now go, about, go out and buy a bottle of Coke. So an endorsement of a product wouldn't also turn you against a product? No, not really. Unless that you already had interest in? Yeah, absolutely. Like, unless it has... Yeah, but obviously you've got to have interest in it first. It's just exposure. I guess right? so. Let's go back to this Wayne Rooney point you just said. Let's just say all of a sudden they slapped Wayne Rooney's face on there. And I'll be honest, I'm not a massive fan of Wayne Rooney. But it wouldn't make me think, oh, I'm going to stop drinking Coke because his face is on there. Nor would it, if I was a fan of Wayne Rooney, start drinking Coke if I was drinking Pepsi or or whatever. There are plenty of people who would do that. They want to be like that oh, celebrity. Yeah, they yeah, want to wear the glasses celebrity. They want to drive the, the car that James Bond drove or the watch yeah. that he wore. Like, th that does happen. Oh, yeah, absolutely. If someone says, hey, look at this brand of shirt, and mm -hmm. you're walking down the street and you see that brand, and you see a brand you don't recognize, you are more likely going to the brand that you know of, that you've heard of before. Whether you know it was them that recommended it, or it's just in your brain. That's just how exposure to brands work. The services that they're advertising at the minute, like, I don't know, Loot Crate, beard grooming kits, I don't know, you know, yeah. what, what else do they do? Um, food boxes, makeup, you said. food boxes. That. Yeah, the, um, Squarespace, yeah. Like, oh, yeah, trials Squarespace. of things. I tell a lie, Audible. I've used Audible. Loads of people advertise Audible. Yeah. To be fair, I used it before they started advertising it. But If you suddenly see a lot of your people you, you watch or consume suddenly start pushing a product, would it make you think twice about, oh, hang on, you know, actually, it's the reason why I'm seeing so much of this. Is the product actually any that good? Does it actually flavour your thoughts on a brand or a product? Yeah, I mean, I'll listen to it, I'll think about it. I'm not just going to throw the chair across the room like, I'm never doing that now. <laughs> never uh, again. <laughs> um, but if I don't need it, I'm not going to buy it just because it's them. Yeah. I know there's going to be a lot of mixed feelings around this. Has influencer marketing been ruined for you? Have you seen far too much of it? Are you getting a bit sick of it? Are you the person who runs Adblock daily? Let us know. Get in touch in the usual ways. Hello at the3pixels.com is our email. Twitter at 3pixelspod. Or search us up on Facebook. Just search the 3pixels and you'll find us there. 
That is all we have time for on this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hopefully you've stayed all the way through and has enjoyed it just as much as we've enjoyed putting it together. Here in White City, we are at the Media Works in the pod. It's been great, very warm. I'm going to be very pleased to open the door in just a moment. But before I do that, I have to say goodbye to my two fellow co-hosts staring at me and sweating profoundly. It's probably probably a good thing that you can't smell as well as here right now. Uh, I know, I'm saying great things about you all, but uh, Martin, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you very much. And yeah, it's, it's been nice. It's hot, like like our like our podcast. Nice and hot. Great. Hot Thanks, Thanks <laughs> Alan, how are you? Yeah, no, thank you. And thanks so much to Alex as well, who's been our sound engineer here yes. at the pod. It's been very helpful. Thank you very much, Alex. <laughs> thank you much for listening. We'll see you guys on the next one. Thank you very much. See you later. Bye. You've been listening to the Three Pixels podcast, a production by Alan Taylor, music provided by Epidemic Sound, and exec produced by Abrupt Audio. With that, thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Good night. I'll do you want to say goodbye, Alex? <laughs> I'm, <you're sure? laughs> I'm really fine. <laughs> you're in the tour now. No, that's cool. Use ad blocker. Ooh. Yeah. I oh, know. I'm a self horrible human being. YouTube, YouTube Premium's in the UK now. It's been in the US for ages, but mm. now they've got it in the UK. Do you UK. know what actually what led me to ad blocker?